Good afternoon, KPFK in Los Angeles and your very own radio. 90.7 FM for all of Southern California. We're heard out of Santa Barbara County at 98.7 FM and uh, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Hi, hello, and howdy, Intervision now till 2 o'clock this afternoon. Nice to be back. We got uh, one more holiday coming up. This uh, Monday, Dr. King's birthday is this Monday, so I hope for you anyway, it's a holiday weekend, the beginning of a holiday weekend, um, which is okay with me. My holidays uh, seem to be never-ending here. We, uh, My wife, Doreen, and I just got back from a couple of weeks out of town, had a wonderful time visiting friends, and uh, so that's, that's why the last couple of programs were repeats, sort of best-of programs. I hope you enjoyed it. But we are uh, today, the 12th of January in uh, 2007, broadcasting live and direct, starting a brand new broadcast year for me and Friday Intervision, and it's uh, really good to be here. And uh, as always, we're with our uh, engineer, D'Angelo Jones, and Brooks is our producer, and uh, got a couple of guests for you today and what I think is going to be a fascinating topic. In fact, we've been having lunch next door and talking for about an hour and a half already about today's topic. And uh, a little later in the hour, we'll uh, ask for your telephone calls as well. Now, as most of you know, InterVision is a program about consciousness. It's a program about spirituality and metaphysics. It's about uh, a concept that, well, in the last few months has come to be known as the secret. But uh, listeners to this program have known this um, for many, many years in most cases, from time out of mind, the ancient secret, the ageless wisdom that uh, consciousness creates reality, that there is a personal reality that is uh, of great significance, and of course a uh, collective reality. The thoughts become things and are magnetic. So this is a program ultimately about consciousness, about who we really are and what we're really for, about the whys behind our thoughts. Not just what do you think or why do you feel that way, but um, the deeper, the uh, why do you think and feel and act the way you do. And, and today I thought, well, I don't think I've ever done a program on computers and consciousness, on the Internet and, and, and blogging and Blackberries and... Uh, 
hardware and software and that stuff between your ears, wetware, and uh, the why of computers and information technology. Now, let me make it clear, this is not a fix-it program. This is not Leo Laporte. I'm going to introduce my guests, and uh, we'll take some calls in the second half of the program, as I mentioned, but not to help you fix your your router, you know. It's not going to be, hey, uh, I can't get my computer to do what I want it to do. It's more conceptual. That's what I want to talk about today. The deeper concepts of we've got all this incredible technology now. What in the world would you like to do with it? We have access to information. Google it uh, has become a verb. Uh, even our uh, a rather dense and uh, out-of-touch president says, I use the Google. Well, what does he use it for? We're not sure. But uh, we're going to Google it today. We're going to talk about computers and technology and the consciousness behind it with a couple of experts in the field who, off, who, who also happen to be friends of mine. First, Kurt Wyman. Kurt, who I've known... Um, what do you say, Kurt, mid-80s, mid to late 80s? Yeah, I think 87. Something like that. And his wife and his family. Kurt uh, Kurt and I go back to long before the Internet in our work with computers and newsletters. And uh, Kurt's specialty is websites and the development of websites. He is my, quote, webmaster. He handles my website and uh, dozens of others. And uh, he's with us today. Kurt, nice to see you. Welcome to InterVision. Thanks for having me. Also joining us, a fellow I've known for a long time and also a good friend who is a real computer tech, especially in the area of Apple and Macintosh and and that whole field. He does a lot of consulting work with private clients and corporations, and he's a real visionary in his own right, Craig Duncan. Hello, Craig. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm doing better and better and happy to have you and Kurt on InterVision here. Thank you. I know Kurt's been to the KPFK studios. uh, this is your first trip in. It's my first time, and it's wonderful here. I love it. The belly of the beast. Here you are. Love it. It's great. Yeah, wonderful. Good. Well, nice to have you inside here. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, a lot of people have probably received personal computers or some bit of hardware or some peripheral. Maybe they got software, a new program for Christmas or Hanukkah. Um, and the... We could do this at any time because the technology is changing so fast. I know the um, Consumer Electronics Show just happened in mm-hmm. this week. Vegas, yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, Jobs and Company have made some announcements out of uh, Apple, some new products. Mm-hmm. So let's start with what's hot and what's not. What's going on in the computer and Internet world? Well, the big thing this week is, is obviously Apple's iPhone, which uh, Steve Jobs introduced on Tuesday. An incredible new phone, which really is uh, seems to be revolutionary, have revolutionary technology involved, re- revolutionary design, which will uh, allow people to do some amazing things on their uh, their their uh, cell phones, which is actually a computer. You know, a cell phone more and more are really small computers, and that's where people will be interfacing more and more with the internet, with the people they love, talking and text messaging and downloading information from the Internet and so forth, taking pictures, sharing information, all that. So it's really important. And along with that on the Apple side is uh, Apple TV and the ability to take those podcasts, uh, the video casts, and put them directly onto your TV, more control of media. Um, 
it's it's kind of an exciting time. It is. It Both is. of these things, in a sense, are a consolidation of technology, but also a decentralization of technology in terms of who gets access, who's doing the programming. Well, there's a great decentralization. This is Craig here. There's a great decentralization happening because of the Internet. Now, we see a lot of media consolidation happening within traditional media, you know, radio stations and TV stations owned by fewer and fewer companies. I mean, five companies or so own the majority of most media. But there's a huge decentralization of power that's happening with the influence of the Internet and the power of computers that allow people to do some truly amazing things. And hopefully change the world. I'm old enough to say that that uh, I certainly remember when a computer was housed in a huge building, like when I was in school. <laughs> Back then, huh? Yeah, it was the computer center. And yeah. You'd, you'd take a hike over to the computer uh -huh. center. Air-conditioned room. Uh, yeah, cards, data control. cards. Data cards, yeah, yeah, data all cards. of that. And the idea of owning your own computer was absurd. That's right. Much less one that you could put in a backpack and now one you can put in your shirt pocket. Yeah. And uh, we never really aspired to this. It was just sort of thrust upon us. Well, this is the evolution of, uh, of technology and, and as people use that technology. If you try to explain to somebody what the kinds of things that we do on a daily basis, if you try to explain to somebody who was living 100 years ago in 1907, they would either think you were crazy or they would simply not believe it. They would say, that's magic. It's not possible. It's well, speaking of that date and that, that period uh, 100 years ago, wasn't there a great debate around the invention of the telephone regarding what good is it? Who needs it? Yeah, Why right. would ever who use, would ever use it? Yeah, exactly. Who would ever use a telephone? Exactly. And even electricity. I think the government spent millions of dollars 100 years ago or so, mm -hmm. especially in the rural areas of the country. The Rural Electrification Program was an attempt to right. get people that lived outside of the city to bring power to their land. So we don't need power. We don't need telephones. That's right. But so people that, with vision back then, uh, people that knew what that technology could bring, maybe missing today a little bit, but they, um, the, the government knew back then that if we could bring this to, the, to a community, to a society, it would improve. Now – is that debatable? Are we? I've been called a Luddite in the past because I've always been interested in appropriate technology. And I remember one fellow saying, well, you're just a Luddite. You just oppose technology. And mm -hmm. I say, no, I don't. It's like, what's appropriate? When, when Jerry Brown was governor of California back in the day, there was actually in Sacramento an office of appropriate technology. Mm. Oat. Oh, nice. Okay. Can you believe that? Interesting. It didn't last very darn long. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't expect well, that it would. Because we're a consumer-based society. So I know there are people listening to us right now in the KPFK audience who are saying, I don't have a computer. Hell, I don't have a TV. And I'm doing just fine. Are they? Is it essential to have access to computers and such? I don't think. Well, well yeah, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's essential. I mean, you can live off the land. But I think they might be missing the uh, ability to connect with people and to experience things that are uh, really new and interesting. And it might be you're just cutting your senses off a little bit. Um, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I do feel like that this does this technology brings a lot of advantages to us. It's, 
And a lot of people that would think like that would want to have a low footprint on the, on the environment. Well, this technology, computers, really helps that. You know, you can easily move photons with no expense and shop online and, and you're not driving your car. So they may be missing the bigger picture by avoiding it. Well, I'll say it like this, that technology is neither good or bad. It's how it's used. It's the intent of the user and what we're doing with it, right? We can use technology to destroy this planet in a lot of ways we are, slowly and quickly. But we can also use technology to save it. If you think about the, the music business, for example, the music business has gone through a lot of turmoil and mostly, primarily because of technology changing. The MP3 and the, you know, the advent of DSL and high-speed Internet allowed people to share files, and MP3 allowed people to save music information, audio information, a very small file that could be transferred over the Internet. That changed the music business in a bad way, in a lot of bad ways, but also challenged them to change the way they do business so that they can, so that they can make an impact and continue on. So technology can also be the savior of the music business if they use it properly. But a technology is sort of like a hammer. It, it's neither good nor bad. It's how it's used. Now, I want to revisit this idea that we're talking about, the decentralization of ownership, that everybody can, for a week's pay roughly, buy a brand-new computer uh, for less than that. For a day's pay or two days' pay, you probably get a used computer and get on, on the Internet. There are even free Internet connections if you're willing to tolerate advertising and mm -hmm. such. It's all very low cost. It's remarkable. It's I'll decide what I watch, thank you very much, when I watch it, right. TV, radio, right. Um, I'll open my mail. I'll get it delivered every five minutes if I want it delivered every five minutes instead of waiting for the mailman. And uh, the impact, we were talking about Dr. Dean's campaign, uh, the, 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 the moveon.org, the truthout.com. Uh, these kinds of websites have revolutionized alternative media. Obviously, I think there's always going to be a need for a Pacific and a KPFK, yes. uh, and that, that, that grows. But we're also talking about a centralization of technology where the cell phone is the pager, is the BlackBerry unit, is the camera, video and still, is able to hook up to the Internet. What are the implications of this? It's, it's a convergence where we bring all these media all this media really over the Internet. The phone will be over the Internet. Television, maybe in a little bit different format, will be over the, the Internet. Um, all these things are, are being combined into this large pipe with, where we have complete control. And um, access, actually, the access grows. You can email not one person but 600 or 700 or something at one time. One thought to 700 people. We'll also think about it like this. This is one way I, I think about it. Is like, think about the information that's coming over your satellite or your cable TV. You have your TV shows, and they're broadcasting when they want to broadcast and all that. And TiVo and DVRs, digital video recorders, have changed the way people watch that. But look at how much information is coming or how much information can come over and will come over your Internet connection. It gives you the ability to, to view whatever you want. Now you can go to YouTube and see whatever you want to see, Yeah. right? So the amount of information, especially as we move more into the future, I think as, as the Internet gets faster for people, faster and faster Internet uh, connection, the information that's going to come over that pipe to your house, that information source is much greater, and the implications of that are much, much greater than, than what you see over satellite or cable. 
I've got enough experience in my past in commercial radio to remember again. Like, Grandpa, tell us about the old days. Uh, you, you sat in the newsroom, you had tickers. You had these mm-hmm. big radio teletype machines, basically, banging away. Sometimes you'd have three or four of them in a closet. And you're waiting for news via the Associated Press or the old United Press International or City News Service to come to you. Mm-hmm. You won't find news tickers in radio, TV, or even newspaper newsrooms anymore. They're just on the computer. And you can go to the AP or the UPI to get news via the computer in a radio newsroom, let's say, or TV newsroom. But you can also, as you said, go to um, YouTube. You know, if I go into the KPFK newsroom and I say, hey, did you guys see that? uh, This happened a couple of weeks ago. Did you see where George H.W. Bush, Papa Bush, 41, had that emotional meltdown, that nervous breakdown the other day? And several said, no, we didn't see that. I said, yeah, well, they played it on C-SPAN, but I don't think it was on the news. Really? Two minutes later, they're on YouTube in the newsroom, and there it is. Yeah. Or the impact of this uh, Michael, uh, what's his name, the Kramer from? Uh, oh yeah, that's that's an important story too. That's uh, cell phone Michael recorded. Richards. Yeah, yeah, that's to talk Caught about technology. Caught on a cell phone. Caught on a cell phone. Talk about that. Well, that's what I think was interesting about that is that that really wouldn't have been a story and would never have gained the traction had somebody not been there with a cell phone, a piece of technology, recording that rant. We're talking about Michael Richards at the Laugh Factory. That story proved yet again, as as well as the Saddam Hussein video, the second one that came out, the power of this technology and what's happening. And also the fact that, you know, this technology is in people's hands. This cell phone was in in a user's hands who recorded that event. That was primarily an Internet, uh, I'm talking about the Michael Richards event, an Internet-driven media story. Hundreds of millions of people have now seen that. Hundreds of millions of people have seen that because one person stood up and recorded uh, recorded that at the at the event. It's Rodney King on steroids. I mean, the Rodney King story mm-hmm. became a story. People of color have been getting beat up by L.A. cops forever, right? And in other cities, too, let's face it. Right. But one guy happened to have a video camera. Well, now we're talking about some real significant number of people, wherever we happen to go, having built into a cell phone or... Right. You know, some little device that allows them to take stills, and often these. My still camera takes movies. Right. It's a little point and shoot digital camera, a couple hundred bucks. A damn thing takes movies with the sound. Right. Pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. And also, think about this too. I see a lot of the news services like uh, CNN are uh, advertising. Uh, I think on CNN it's called iReport, and they want people to send in their movies. You know, yeah. if a, t- a tornado happens and the news crews aren't there, that's the way it used to be. You're waiting for the news crews to show up to film the event or video record it so that you could see it. Well, people with their cameras can record it and upload it to CNN or whatever news outlet, so people are part of the news story. I think you remember that airplane that went into uh, one of the buildings in New York there a few months back. Well, that was first caught on a cell phone. That's right. That was first caught on a cell phone. And so here we have this concern. Kurt, let me direct this at you, because uh, I know we all share this concern about being spied on, data mining, uh, uh, the government's reading our email. But at the same time, we're spying on them, aren't we? Democratizing. Yeah, we, it, we can balance it out at least by um, having our own source of 
information and sending out the videos that we see when something to right or wrong or or um, maybe we have good news to share too. I mean, we an idea. Have, we don't have to hope that some local cable outlet shows up to cover an important issue at our city council meeting, let's say. I can open up my cell phone and bring my little camera. I can record the city council meeting. Now I've got the evidence. And I've put it onto YouTube or Google Video. and Or, everyone build, or build your own website and put it out that way. Start your own podcast, which means you're a radio station. You don't have to wait for a radio station to give you airtime or get a program. The, the fences are so coming down so that people in a in – a, there's a gentleman that I know who's uh, started a podcast, a technical podcast, about a year ago. He had this passion about computers and wanted to talk about them, started a podcast, and is now broadcasting to several hundred thousand people. Several hundred thousand people a week download his show. And this is a guy sitting, hopefully not in his underwear, but sitting there <laughs> in his apartment – Recording had no training about being on the radio and so forth. Bought a fifty-dollar microphone, plugged it into his laptop, and is now broadcasting to hundreds of thousands of people. That is the kind of power that's available to individuals right now. Now you said broadcasting. Let me pick a nit with you. This uh, is really narrowcasting. It is it? narrowcasting. Now, what great. do we mean by that? Well, narrowcasting, and uh, in this case, it's called podcasting, or a lot of people use the term netcasting, which is a more generic term. Doesn't mean you have to have an iPod to to uh, listen, but what it means is is that uh, you're talking to a specific group of people, specific audience, and that could be a narrow thing like, hey, I love horses and I have my horse show. Well, I can't get on the radio. My radio station, my local radio station doesn't want to talk about horses. They don't want to have a show. So I can get on uh, my computer and record a podcast, and I can take that uh, audio, which is being recorded, and it gets saved as an MP3 file, and that MP3 file could be downloaded with, for people not only in my community but worldwide. And that's what's amazing, that a person sitting in their house, in their office, in their car can be broadcasting to a audience that's worldwide. And some small bit of news or some small uh, story that would never be picked up is now available to somebody else someplace on the planet that's interested. That's correct. And sometimes yeah. it's those obscure items that come together that make a big change in the world later. Well, Absolutely. how do we find each other? Let's say I'm, uh, you know, uh, politically uh, interested in, in in stopping the war in Iraq and getting us out of there. Or uh, I'm interested in horses. Or I'm a fly fisherman. Or I love to bake bread or whatever. How do I, whatever the case may be, find other people uh, through blogs or websites? How do I use my BlackBerry, my email? How, how are we hooking up? How are we connecting? Well, that's largely what, that's what Google and Yahoo are all about, uh, primarily as search engines, allowing people to connect to the information that they want. Yeah, search engines, and then from blogs, from the places that you regularly visit on the Internet, you'll find other links and other sources of information. And if we've We've all found ourselves going from one site to the next and ending up finding some totally unrelated bit of information that is very, very interesting. Or powerful. Yeah. KPFK on your radio, this is InterVision. My name is Michael Benner. We're here till 2 this afternoon. And in about 15 minutes, we'll open up the telephones and take your calls and uh, your questions and your comments about our discussion today, which is uh, about computers and the Internet, about information technology, the computer revolution, 
uh, listen, there's a Freudian slip, the computer revolution and revelation, I guess. And uh, my guests are uh, Craig Duncan and, and Kurt Wyman, uh, both experts in the field. Kurt, especially website development. Craig is real technically oriented. He knows all about the computer. Both of you guys are very knowledgeable. These are my go-to guys. Help, Kurt. <laughs> Kurt says, call Craig. I don't know. Craig says, didn't you talk to Kurt yet? Um, let's, let me find out a little about you guys as individuals. Kurt, uh, we were both in the personal computers when we met, but uh, recount for us, if you will, your initial interest in computers and then in the, uh, you were in the construction. Yeah, industry. I was in I was in construction and uh, uh, works on, work with plans and they had uh, programs called CAD, computer-aided design, and it really interested me. In construction, you take a set of architectural plans and you convert them uh, when for your particular type of job, I, I did concrete. And the, the architecturals are good, but you need to refine them. And we, I was drawing and drawing and drawing by hand. And uh, I just really got hooked on computers because of CAD. And uh, it, it's, for me, it speeded up the, back then. It sped up the process so much, uh, and this is in the 80s, that uh, I was able to make a little more money and uh, afford to buy a Macintosh back then. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doing that on the Mac. I had a PC and a program called Versicad. That's when I called you, contacted you, and we started a newsletter on that Macintosh. And it's just been one thing after the other since that. I bet we have listeners that remember perpetual notions. I'll bet mm-hmm. they do. Our hard, hard copy newsletter. We got to point out now this was an actual snail mail newsletter. God, it was, yeah. yeah. And you had to take it to the printer. And yes, had to take it to the printer. Uh, we did share files electronically off of a bulletin board. That's right. And um, CompuServe. CompuServe. Yeah. And uh, we used to say, we used to joke that uh, we'd sent that story to the moon and back. Before I got it and could print it uh, off the Mac onto, they had the laser writer back then, and we we did a pretty good job. Back well, then. you and I were living a hundred miles apart. That's right. And sending text files back and forth, a good eight years before we found out about something called the internet. It was <laughs> would right. have been ARPANET back then. Yeah. ARPANET, whatever. Craig, you've been interested in science and technology ever since you were a teenager. Didn't you receive an award as a young man? For I did science? receive an award. I won a national science fair for uh, for building new wing designs, new airfoil designs, wing designs uh, in a national science competition. Re- received an award from uh, Jonas Salk was presenting. And uh, that's a wonderful picture I have uh, up in my house. But yeah, I, my interest in, in science and technology, I, it, it got a, it's an interesting road I took. Uh, a lot of people think I went to school for engineering, I actually did enter. I went to University of California, Santa Barbara, uh, at Santa Barbara, and I entered uh, electrical engineering. I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer, but after a couple of quarters, realized that I had a lot more interests besides science and technology, the humanities and uh, history and so forth, literature. So I started taking a wide variety of classes. My parents freaked out. They thought we want you to be an engineer, and. Uh, uh, which is a noble career, by the way. But I decided, you know, I, I have a uh, interest in science and technology, but I also have a, a lot more other interests. So I actually graduated poli sci. But the, the, how I got into computers is 
during that time, I was always using computers and found them fascinating. In fact, a couple summer jobs, I worked for the Navy down in San Diego, and uh, I was actually, summer jobs, I was putting together terminals from scratch. There would be, I mean, I was soldering transistors onto boards and building these computers, uh, and I got to the point where I could build a computer in a, in a day. Hmm. And the guys around me were, it was it was amazing, the, the shop guys around me, and uh, I was actually working on ARPANET. I was putting in terminals around that. It was part of, you know, this is the Navy, so it's part of the Department of Defense. So I was working on the uh, ARPANET system. And uh, computers to me were, you know, hey, it's, remember the days of star colon, star dot star, copy, star dot star, all that kind of stuff, DOS commands. My life really changed in 1986 when I walked into a Macintosh lab at the University of California at Santa Barbara. That was 20 years ago. And I, I saw a Macintosh computer with a mouse and the graphical interface with the icons. You know, we take all this for granted. But 20 years ago, it was typewriters, folks. It was, you know, we were typing up stuff. If you wanted to move a paragraph or a word, you're bringing out the scissors and the whiteout and the tape and all that kind of stuff. Literal so, cut and paste. Oh, it was a cut and paste, man. So anyway, what happened is is uh, that was 20 years ago. And every, every day since then has been about the Macintosh computer. It's been about Apple technology. And the reason why I was so hooked is because I immediately saw in this device it was such a departure from what was happening before, which was the commands, copy, star, dot, star. Those were designed for engineers and nerdy people. This, this Macintosh computer was designed for regular people as they marketed they market it as the computer for the rest of us. Because one thing I, I often tell my clients, you know, it's – they get caught up on, well, should I buy this one? It's gigahertz and megabits. This one's faster. I said, it's not about how powerful the computer is. It's about how powerful the computer makes you. So if you can't, if you there's all this incredible stuff in your computer that has potential to do and you don't know how to use it, then it's useless to you. The Apple computer was revolutionary in that normal people could use that technology and access those incredible things that the computer could do. I played guitar for many years before it occurred to me that instead of playing upon the guitar, I could play through it. I could I, I could experience the guitar as an extension of me. And I went through the same thing with computers. I would put my fingers on the keyboard or grab the mouse or trackball or whatever and work upon the computer. And then I began to realize, as you said earlier today, Kurt, that I could see this as an extension of my central nervous system. Yeah, and that, I think that's the Macintosh thing, was it's intuitive. That it, it, if you think about what you want it to do, it will almost do it for you. And you, the interface is the same from one program to the next, and the place where you're going to keep your files is always in the your, – your menus are driven the same way. That keeps things simple, and that makes it more intuitive. And I think that's what's happening with these new designs in cell phones and uh, – all the other little gadgets we're getting today is it's all becoming more an extension of who we are and, and how we work. Well, so. we're all men, and we're missing the input of women so far, but we're going to open up the telephones. Maybe we can get some input from them. And I, I make that distinction because, the, you know, even in little boys that are – uh, barely old enough to walk. They're more interested in gadgets and, and motorcycle. I always knew if a baby was a boy or a girl, by the way, they'd look at me if I was on my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> and we're gadget guys. You know, we love it. So there is the cool factor in driving our interest in computer technology. If I hand, even a, whether it's a, in this case a guy or a gal, a man or a woman, I hand them an iPod, 
they touch it for the first time. They run their thumb around that wheel. And within 60 seconds, I got to have one. I mean, you don't have to sell an iPod to anybody. You just right. got to hand it to In fact, them. that's one of the ways they sell them is let people handle them. Yeah, right. just touch it yeah. and, and you're hooked. But we're, we have an audience here at KPFK that cares deeply about social and political injustice, mm -hmm. that wants to, to change the world and uh, enjoy the personal benefits. But I think a lot of us, a lot of folks who are spiritually driven and and oriented toward consciousness programming like InterVision, uh, want us to go a little bit further and, 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 and talk about why we care, what do we care about, how can we use computers to do that. So let's take a short break and we'll come back. We'll talk about why we give a damn, why we care, what we can use our computers, our cell phones, our Blackberries, the internet, blogging, all of this stuff. And uh, take some telephone calls too. Uh, you're listening to InterVision. My name is Michael Benner. It's Computers and Consciousness today till Tuesday, right where you are, and we'll be back with your telephone calls. Here's the number if you don't have it memorized by now, 818-985-5735. Comments or questions about computers and consciousness. Don't ask us to fix your machine or tell you how to get that wireless router up and running. Not that kind of show today. Conceptual questions, comments especially questions about the consciousness behind it all. Bucky Fuller used to say, we have all the right technology, but for all the wrong reasons. Here we've got amazing technology. Let's see if we can nail down some of the right reasons. 818-985-5735-985-KPFK in the 818 area code. We'll be back with your questions right after this. KPFK and your very own radio, 90.7 FM all over Southern California, 98.7 FM out of Santa Barbara County. And then, listen to me carefully, streaming for the world at kpfk.org. So it's more than radio. It's more. You know, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine who wants to do radio. And I said, well, that's nice, but I happen to know that what you want to do on radio, radio's not interested in. It's like you said before, Craig, you know, there's so many important areas or hobbies or avocations or interests that people have that talk radio, my God, it's just turned into a nasty, politically oriented hate fest. It very much has. And thank God we've got KPFK down here with eclectic programming that attempts to program to the disenfranchised and, and the powerless and and those that don't really have a voice elsewhere. That's why I like to go to the telephones for part of each program. But I told him, I said, I, I think you might want to look at podcasts, not broadcasts, but podcasting. Because even now, this program that we're producing right now live will be podcast. Yep. And I don't have the numbers yet, but it's looking like no matter how fast our KPFK audience grows, it's not going to match the rate of growth of our podcast, because I'm getting an email from all over the world, from Singapore and Hong Kong, from China, from New Zealand and Australia, and, and, and English-speaking people in Malaysia, as well as all through Europe and Northern Africa and, and South America and Central America. They're listening to KPFK on their iPods while they ride the bike down the street. I mean, it's... Exactly. And That's anybody can do it. It's true. They don't have to have a radio show like me to podcast. How easy is it, Kurt? Well, it's very easy. All you need is a microphone and a computer and uh, access to the Internet, and you're up. And uh, 
the other good thing is those shows don't disappear. They're there for as long as someone wants to host them and put them on, uh, put them on the server, leave them on the server. They're there, although uh, maybe that's not forever, but people's iPods will hold them. They can be shared. So uh, radio and broadcast, it's for the moment. Well, the other thing I want to add is that you're also able to get the radio show when you want to listen to it. Not when it's broadcast. A lot of people can't listen at the time that radio's broadcast, so they end up missing a lot of things, a lot of very important things, connection to a lot of important events and things that they're interested in. But having a podcast allows you to draw that to your computer and listen on your computer or your iPod, wherever you are. Let's talk about why we care, why we give a damn. Um, I've done programs just on this topic alone because the word love is so overused. I mean, you sell cars and beer with love and, you know, advertising. And I don't think most people really understand all of the different definitions. Um, in Christianity, there's this idea of love your enemy, but I don't see very many Christians that really seem to understand what that means. It's mm -hmm. like, well, let's drop some bombs on the enemy. And yes, I'm a Christian. Wait a minute. It says love your enemy. Oh, well. And somehow that gets dismissed even in churches, you know, mm -hmm. big cathedrals vaulted ceilings, praise God, and then ignore the message. Even in the Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. Right. In Eastern philosophies, do no harm. And yet, all around the world, people are killing each other. So let's not call it love. Let's just say, why do we care? And what do we care about? Kurt, you started to say you got into computers because you were interested in the CADs, the computer-assisted drafting and such. But you send me links to all kinds of political and and social interests to blogs and websites and news stories. Yeah, news news events, things that are happening that um, uh, you don't really hear on regular radio or television stations. Some of, most of the news that I can get from from Google really comes from Australia or the UK. Um, when we yesterday, when they invaded the Iranian embassy in Iraq. If you went to Google uh, right off the bat, the, all the news stories were from foreign sources. There wasn't a an American newspaper at the be at the beginning, within the first couple of hours, that it were carrying that story. And that's the those are the stories that I usually send to you. As, as soon as you hear that stuff, you can now instantly tell everybody in your sphere of influence about it. Craig, I know you have. Political and social concerns, too. We've talked about all kinds of them. Yeah, sure. You think that uh, as an activist, a reformer, that the Internet is an extension of who you are? Computers an extension of your senses? I think very much so. I think technology can be an extension. Uh, again, it's a tool, and it all depends upon how you want to use it. But for me, exa for example, uh, technology very much is an extension of who I am. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say, but I have seven or eight computers. I use three or four computers actively every day. One computer does video. One computer does audio. I'm often using two computers at the same time. And uh, that comes back in the days where you didn't have much computer time and you wanted to maximize it. You don't want to wait for anything. So uh, it very much is an extension of who we are. Now, we can sit there and consume videos all day long and watch funny videos, watch viral videos come into our email box and all this kind of stuff and waste time and be inert where we can use the technology to do powerful things in the world.
And that what I'm excited about is the, the potential that's available to every person. So many people, uh, even in this country, you know, to, that's available to people and what they can do with it. It all starts with an intent and what the person wants to do with that technology. It's exciting stuff. Should people be intimidated if some people waited too long, or is it getting easier for a newbie, a neophyte, to go out buy a computer? And oh, get it's up? getting yeah. easier. Plug and play. Plug you and just play. Hook up. It's it's so easy now. Go down to an Apple store and just don't buy anything necessarily. Just go down there and see what's going on. Check out the technology. Check out how it's impacting people and what you can do with that technology. It's a wonderful experience. Let's take some telephone calls. You guys like to do that? That's true. Let's go down to Long Beach. And, Jim, you're on KPFK. It's InterVision with Michael Benner. My guests are Kurt Warman and Craig Duncan. Hi, Jim. I'm very good. How are you guys doing? You're doing great, great, man. Thanks. You know, I, I this is such a great discussion because there is so much new burgeoning technology that just seems to sort of, like, grow in quantum leaps, you know. Uh, and I think it really has the power to put um, the power back into people's hands. But I, I wonder what you think about the whole issue of um, net neutrality laws, because I think that at the same time that this stuff is growing and creating more and more opportunities for people to be connected and understand what's really happening in the world, that uh, the powers that be are trying to kind of uh, pinch off the tube so that uh, they can charge more to some people. And what's, what's going to happen when some guy that's doing a podcast can't afford to, you know, to spend the, the, the money to, uh, to, to pay an exorbitant fee? Yeah, we have to uh, write our congressmen and make sure that they understand we've got, we've got the new Congress. They need to understand that that can't happen. This is democracy, the ability for you and me to podcast to one other person. It's huge, and it, there's no reasoning or there's no logic behind charging somebody who has less money, more money, to have a website than a big corporation. Uh, you know, why should they get the – why should it be – why should democracy be a monetary thing? Why should big corporations be able to have better access to the Internet than you or I? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it absolutely shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen. Are you guys talking about attempts, net neutrality laws, attempts to make sure that there is no class structure where a big corporation gets a faster line than I could ever afford? Yeah, you, you have to pay for the faster line. In fact, there'd be delays some websites may it would could experience a one or two minute delay before you actually reach it, and you know the old theory is if it isn't if the page doesn't come up in fifteen seconds you're going to lose a, a percent of your audience. And more than that, it's about companies the companies that are giving internet access your cable company the the phone company doing your DSL about them constructing roadblocks on the information superhighway so information doesn't flow as freely, so that they're putting up toll gates and saying, you must pay me to get to my customers, for example, or to exchange that information with other people. And that's, that's anti-democratic. Yeah. And, Jim, your, your sense of this is you asked the question. You think they're trying to, to prevent the, the, the special interest groups, the large corporations, just don't want society turned upside down? Well, I, I think that basically my, my sense of it is that the, the, the corporate interests basically want to make more money. 
And from what the way that I understand it, um, you know, we're supposed to have, according to um, the Internet uh, laws that were signed during the Clinton administration, we're supposed to have um, fiber optic, <laughs> fiber optic uh, exactly. standard, yeah. standard communications in this country. And we're, we're paying for that through tax breaks and incentives to these corporations, but they've never... They've never installed that. Yeah, they've, That's ne- they've never shelled out. And the country that invented the Internet is number 23 or 27 in the world for Amazing. connectivity. There are 20-some yeah. nations with faster, better Internet service than the USA. That's, That's right, and we correct. invented it. That's yeah. what's so crazy about that. Jim, thanks for your call, bud. Thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, Happy New Year. Linda in Winnetka. You're on KPFK. It's Intervision. Hi, Linda. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I guess in a way I'm sort of an old timer. Back in '73, uh, I was uh, I was taking oceanography, and they forced me to take a computer class, and it was something called APL, where you had to memorize a whole bunch of numbers to even say hello. And I hated it. And anyway, after that, I never really got into computers because um, I, I read 1984 and Brave New World, and you know what? The FBI and CIA have plenty of that stuff to keep track of us. How can you try to even communicate without them having a total log on everything you do, especially if you're more like an activist? Well, I'll I'll put it like this. This is Craig speaking. Um, uh, What I would say is, you know, the government is going to do what they're going to do as far as tracking people and uh, monitoring information. But if you're an activist and you have something important to share with the world, uh, things you want to change, change that you want to see, you know, that really takes precedent. If, if it's important to you, it's about get it done in my in my book. What do you think, Kurt? Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying, because just uh, last month, I believe they uh, the FBI in a case revealed the fact that they were tapping into the speakers on people's cell phones. Uh, the the scenario would be a criminal was walking down the street, and as he passed you or me by, they'd turn the speaker on on our phone to listen to him so maybe they could get some evidence that he was doing something wrong uh, with a wiretap. So that means they can turn, even on cell phones that are off, imagine that, uh, they can turn on your speaker in the middle of the night and listen to you. Speakers on your uh, laptops. I mean, this sounds like something from 1984, but it's I, true. I listen to the computer show that's on, uh, I'd say whether it's Saturday or Sunday, but I listen to KPFK's computer show, and they said that uh, the computer companies had uh, been gotten in touch with by the government, and they were told to, to change something in the way that they were built so it would make it easier for the government to, to get into our computers and find out yeah. who we were talking to and what, what we were talking about, what we were reading and what we were putting out. Well, Linda, uh, I think that's a very legitimate concern. I I will tell you that speaking for myself as a broadcaster, a radio talk show commentator, and I understand it's a choice I've made that you are not willing to make, but I live open and out loud, Uh and I just don't give a damn. I just don't. I mean, I'm watching them. Overwhelm them. Overwhelm them. If we all have it, they're not going to. It's, it's There's nothing I believe in that I'm ashamed of. I'm not ashamed that I oppose all war. Well, I'm, I'm not ashamed that I oppose war either, but with fascism growing worldwide. I know, I, I know. and that's why I said... Just in this country, I, you know... I think it's a legitimate concern well, that you have, but I'm not sure that 
we can count on a right to privacy. It may be more that what we have to count on is having access to them. If we can spy on them, if, <laughs> if we can maintain KPFK and Pacifica, if we can continue to have access through freedom of information, if we can use blogs to influence the news media, then we have a counterbalance. And the other side of that is if they, if they get us to be afraid enough to not protest because they'll take your picture, to not speak to your neighbor uh, through a cell phone, a, a wired phone, uh, hollering over the fence because somebody might pick it up, then then they got us. Well, I'd also add to that, you know, the main thing is, is uh, these things are going on, these shenanigans going on, these shenanigans have been going on for a very long time. If you think about Dr. King, he knew that the FBI was spying on him, but he still did his work and still got the work done, regardless I know, of that. I know. And the thing is, am I willing to die for it? Uh, I don't know if you – I don't know. I, I, <laughs> that That's going to the wall with it. But years ago, I had a group called Individuals Making a Difference. It was just to supplement this radio program. And uh, we would get together sometimes 20, sometimes 40 people in a little coffee shop in Glendale, California, um, owned by the family that, uh, well, that's a long story. The general manager of the radio station was in a family that owned this coffee shop, so we used to meet there. And long story short, a group of ostensibly uh, left-wing radicals came in and asked members of this organization to join them in a protest. And I said to the group, I'm only the chair. I don't tell you what to do. We're individuals making a difference. That's why I called the group that. Mm -hmm. I said, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that these guys are the cops. Mm. And you could tell by their lack of protest, their lack of outrage, that they were the cops. And mm -hmm. 30 minutes later, somebody came in from the cigarette break and said, hey, those hippies that were in here asking you to join their protest, they're out there writing down the, the license plate numbers of all of our cars. I think we should count on it. Know that they're out. there's always been a red squad in the LAPD. The Alliance for Survival back in the early 80s, uh, two of the members of their board of directors were LAPD cops. Whether there's high technology, low technology, no technology, there's going to be cops that are confused and think that political and social activism needs to be watched. Let them watch. And, and as far as someone like you saying, well, I'm not going to participate, that's that's okay. I, I understand your concern. but well, when, when, I'm not saying I'm not participating. I just don't happen to participate over a computer. Well, that, yeah, that's that, what I mean. That's fine, too. I, I do a lot more one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, telling people about the station, uh, just doing a lot of other things. Well, thank you for that, and thanks for challenging this whole premise. I appreciate it. No, I'm not challenging. I was just wondering if there was some way that you could use the computer and, like, watch have some them. kind of a shield or yeah. something. Well, maybe like or, or maybe use it in the library. Yeah, watch them. Yeah, well, there they, there they want your ID. Well, I think one of the main points, this is Craig speaking, that one of the main points is, is that, Technology and the Internet are making people more and more powerful. There's more and more powerful. There's more and more power available to people now. In fact, in my view, the individual right now living today, especially in the United States, has more power available to them than at any time in human history. Any time in human history. We often don't 
think about it in those terms, but if you try to explain your life and what you do on a daily basis to somebody 100, living 100 or 150 years ago, they would think you were doing some kind of magic. The fact that you can dial 10 digits and get you know somebody else talking to them, talk to somebody else in a foreign country thousands of miles away on a phone in the middle of Death Valley is an amazing thing. It's an amazing oh, thing. Oh, it is magic. It is magic. Well, I, I've taken electronics in the past. I, I think that that's totally magic. i got to take another call. Linda, I'm going to let you oh, go. But thanks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Let's go to Valley Village and Steve. You're on KPFK. It's Intervision. My guests, Kurt Wyman and Craig Duncan. Hi, Steve. Howdy. Have you heard of Second Life? Yes. What do you think? I don't play it. Do you play it, Kurt? I don't. I don't even know what it what is. What is it? But we're boring old geeks. <laughs> <laughs> we're the old fat. We're old school. We're old school. I remember you know, life. It was sort so, of like a so, go game. Well, no, it's it's actually a virtual reality that uh, actual real money has been exchanged and people. Linden are dollars, made. right? Linden dollars. Linden dollars, but real money too. Yeah. Well, you know, I I'll tell you the story, my story on uh, it. Well, why don't you, caller? Why don't you go ahead and explain what the video game is for? Them? Well, um. I'm just learning more about it. My girlfriend was a little bit more into it. She's kind of stunned by the what, what it implies, and, and she she has a tendency to go off on, on this stuff a little bit more than I do. But basically what it is is you're allowed to go online to this place, Second Life, create a character. You create how it looks, the hair, the clothes, the whatever, the, whatever the template is, and then there's a whole existence that you can actually live out on, uh, on, on, you know, in a virtual world. It is a Second Life. Right, and you can fly. You can do all kinds of things. It's so, what cool. are the implications, do you think? Oh, geez, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, the implications is probably that if you can actually make real money, you could you could just stay at home and and just be in your second life all well, day. <laughs> How interesting! How is, is, there second, <laughs> is there second food in that second? I don't know. That's a good. Well, the thing is, is if you can if you can make real money, that means that you can go out and buy food if you want to. Well, it's a socially connected video game, and uh, I, I know I have a lot of. Friends who play Second Life. I don't play a lot of video games. Uh, I look at it like this. When I was a teenager, I got hooked on video games back in the day when they were arcades. Tempest was my favorite game. I spent thousands on it and thousands of hours. And after coming off of that addiction, I said, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm gonna limit that because I want to limit how much creativity I'm consuming. Others' creativity. When people are watching TV or playing video games or consuming somebody else's creativity. I want to use technology and the computers to create things myself. Mm -hmm. So I'd rather be a producer of creativity than than a uh, than a consumer. There's nothing wrong with consuming it. It's just that there's a lot of consumption of We're almost out of time. Going. I'm going to cut you off. Thanks for your call, Jim. Take care. Have a good day. Great weekend. Craig, you wanted to mention Monday is Dr. King's birthday. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you turned me on to a set of uh, 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 audio archives that a lot of Folks probably don't even know about. Yeah, and they absolutely should because anybody who is uh, who holds Dr. King close in their hearts, uh, who is passionate about the work of Dr. King, loves Dr. King's work. Uh, there's a audio program called "A Call to Conscience," the landmark speeches of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King. It's an audio book by Time Warner, and uh, it's something I found years ago, and I ended up buying 20 or 30 or 40 copies and sending it to a lot of friends. It's uh, These are the speeches, his most important speeches. And we mostly have heard about I Have a Dream. We hear clips. We hear clips this weekend and on Monday and so forth. But I just want to tell your listeners that by going and getting a program like this and listening, listening to the entirety of his speeches gives you such a better idea of who this man is, what he stood for, 
I remember uh, taking the program out to the Southwest. I was on a photographic trip, and uh, I listened in the car, and uh, this is seven hours of speeches, and by the time I heard, uh, you know, his mountaintop speech, I was absolutely in tears. But I tell you one thing is that that deepened, it widened my understanding of who Dr. King was and what he stood for and deepened my resolve to live out his dream, to keep that dream that he has and that he shared alive in me and to work every day, every day that I'm breathing to work his dream. So it's uh, again, it's called A Call to Conscience, the landmark speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King. I think it's available on iTunes or you can Get it from uh, Amazon.com or wherever you buy audiobooks. It's a fantastic program. And, and again, so many people think of Dr. King for his wonderful civil rights work, but I think what made him most dangerous, most subversive, and why I love him so much, is that was part and parcel of a larger pacifist spiritual vision. Absolutely. Love is a power. Love is a power. Love is a force. And love is consciousness. And uh, I think that's what made Dr. King controversial and why he was eventually taken out, not for civil rights, but his, but, but his pacifism. And yes. God, God bless him. As he says, only love can conquer hate. That's right. Marvin Gaye said that, too. <laughs> <laughs> love Marvin Gaye. Thank you, Craig. Duncan Hoffman, folks, you get a hold of you. They can get a hold of me at uh, uh, my primary email, cmdrduncan at aol.com, commanderduncan at aol.com. And Kurt Wyman. At the bottom of your website. There you go. <laughs> Illuminaryarts.com. I think Kurt's at the bottom of pretty much every page there. Kurt Wyman, you got an email address for him? It's Kurt at Illuminaryarts.com. All right. And there's a hyphen in Illuminary Arts? Uh, can't, either way, it'll work. Okay, good. Kurt Wyman, Craig Duncan, friends of mine, now friends of yours. Thank you, gentlemen, for being on Intervision. I Thank you. Okay. We'll do this again. And I hope you do have a wonderful weekend, especially given that it's, uh, for some of us anyway, a holiday weekend. I hope it is for you. And that in any event, you'll celebrate Dr. King's birthday. Let's keep that peace on earth and goodwill toward all going into February and March and April and May.